0: I do, not, I do not know how Jeff does this every week. Uh, my heart has been beating about 150 since uh, 7 o'clock this morning. And I feel like I've already uh, run a half marathon. Um, but thank God uh, the glory goes to him and, and he uses weak vessels uh, for his purposes. And um, I have some exciting stories about what is happening ...in this congregation and through this congregation... ...that I'm going to share with you this morning... um, ...after a brief sermon. And I want to start that sermon... uh, ...with um, something from Revelation. It's from the Apostle John... ...who was exiled to the island of Patmos... ...and um, while he was on that island... ...because of his commitment to the gospel... ...he saw a vision... And a door was opened in heaven, and it says that he was lifted up in the Spirit to heaven, and he saw visions of Jesus Christ. And of one of those visions, he said this, I looked, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode off as a conqueror bent on conquest. I love the imagery bent on conquest. You know, when we have to make a decision, sometimes we say we're leaning in one direction or another. And that means that we haven't come to a firm conclusion and we're not really passionate um, in one direction or the other, but we're leaning in one direction. But when we say that we're bent in one direction, that's different. It's almost the idea of being distorted, out of shape, and perhaps ready to even snap, which gives the impression of single-mindedness and determination. And so a conqueror bent on conquest has one thing in mind, winning. You know, when I think of a conqueror bent on conquest, I usually don't think of Jesus Christ. I tend to think of something, someone like General George S. Patton. General Patton was one of the greatest field commanders the U.S. military has ever seen. He was uh, an Allied general in World War II, and it was commonly reported that he was the only general that the Germans feared. He was so single-minded in his pursuit of military glory. He was famous for saying things like this to his commanders before they, to his uh, men before they'd go into battle. And I can't do it as good as George C. Scott in the movie, but I'll give you a flavor of it. Men, I want you to remember this. I don't want to get any messages from the field saying that we are holding our position. We're not holding on to anything. We are advancing and only advancing. And the only thing I want you holding on to is the enemy. A conqueror, bent on conquest, intends to win. And Patton intended to win. Not just the war, but every battle. He didn't even want to entertain the idea that they might lose a battle. And he didn't even want his men thinking that they should sacrifice their lives. He only wanted them thinking of one thing. Victory. And so he said, in probably one of his most famous and colorful statements, he said, men, I also want you to remember this. No one ever won a war by dying for his country. Men win wars by making the other guy die for his country. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. I have a short sermon for you today, only about 10 minutes, and then I want to share those stories about what God is doing in and through this congregation. The story of redemption is not over. It's unfolding before us, and our church has an unprecedented opportunity to see a mighty work of God through this congregation and throughout our city. Now, when you think of a conqueror bent on conquest, do you think of Jesus Christ? If not, there might be something wrong or deficient in your understanding of the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom... ...will be preached in the whole world... ...as a testimony to all nations... ...and then the end will come. Now I'd like to explain my point... ...about Jesus being a conquering king... ...by looking at two episodes in Jesus' life... ...from what's commonly called Luke's travel narrative. Luke's travel narrative... Is, uh, ...begins in chapter 9... ...and goes through chapter 19... ...and it's kind of like a running commentary... ...of the last few weeks of Jesus' life... ...before he's about to go to the cross... ...and give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And um, as we read through these two passages... ...or actually, I'm not even going to read the passages... ...because there are two passages that you're very familiar with. And you can go and read the details later. And I'm not even particularly interested in the details... ...what we're going to do is look at these two episodes... ...by taking a step back... ...and looking at them from 30,000 feet. Literally. Let me set the stage. Most or much of Jesus' preaching and healing ministry... ...took place in the northern part of Israel... ...called Galilee. And it was there that he healed paralytics... He raised a girl from the dead, he walked on water, he performed exorcisms, and he preached the message of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, and particularly said that the kingdom of God was at hand. Then, after feeding the 5,000 near a town in Bethsaida, he again went back into the heart of Galilee. And from there, he headed south, and he stopped at Mount Tabor, which is the traditional site of the Transfiguration, a key event in Jesus' life and ministry. It's one of the only events that's recorded in all four Gospels. Now, it says at the beginning of the travel narrative then, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, these words... As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, literally it says, he resolutely set his face on Jerusalem. His eyes, his focus, his will was set to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the redemption of sins. And nothing... ...was going to deter him from that course of action. And then, so close to Jerusalem... ...he takes a turn and goes into the region of Perea... ...across the Jordan. Now what's going on here? It says that he had resolutely set his eyes and his face on Jerusalem. But he goes across the Jordan into Perea. Well, he starts to preach in Perea, and something like revival breaks out. And people, he starts to give um, sermons on divorce and, and marriage. And people start bringing their children to him to be blessed. And they're repenting in large numbers. And Jesus already has this big crowd of people with him, but the crowd starts to swell. And this crowd begins to follow him wherever he goes. And then, as this large crowd forms around Jesus... ...he heads back towards the Jordan River... ...and positions himself there... ...on the shores of the Jordan. In the same place... ...that Joshua did... ...when he was about to conquer the Promised Land... ...right across from Jericho. Now, the people of Israel had come out of Egypt... And they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And just before they were to go into the promised land, they were in the plains of Moab, which it was at the time of Jesus was Perea. And he set to go into the promised land, and the first place Joshua goes is Jericho. And now Jesus, on the shores of the Jordan, whose name in Hebrew is Joshua... ...prepares to conquer the promised land. And it's here in Jericho that Jesus comes and encounters... ...blind Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Now Luke makes a point of saying that Jesus was approaching Jericho... ...when he encounters the blind beggar. Bartimaeus hears the crowd... And he hears all the excitement and he asks, what's going on? And some people come to him and they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And Bartimaeus jumps to his feet and he sees something that they don't see. This isn't Jesus of Nazareth. He knows this Jesus. He calls him Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this son of David designation is not just something to honor the human lineage of David. It's a royal title. It's a kingly title. The prophecy was that the son of David would one day come and set up a kingdom... ...and rule over that kingdom that would last forever. And blind Bartimaeus sees Jesus as this conquering king coming into the promised land... And remember, Joshua decimated Jericho. And so Bartimaeus is playing the part of Rahab. And he's saying, have mercy on me. Because the conquering king is coming. And so he wants to see Jesus. And he asks, and Jesus orders that Bartimaeus be brought before him. And he asks Bartimaeus, what is it that you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see He wants to see the king the long awaited messiah who had set up this kingdom and Jesus conquers Bartimaeus with mercy and he gives him his sight and it says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus and joined the people of God And the crowd begins to swell. And the conquest continues. Jesus isn't using sword and spear. He doesn't have his fire lit to burn down the city. His weapons of warfare are mercy and compassion. And so he enters the city. And now he encounters Zacchaeus, the tax collector... ...hated, despised, a social outcast, a traitor in Israel's eyes, he was a crook. He was a criminal. He wasn't a criminal. He was a crook. He was a jerk. He took more money than he was supposed to from the people. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And he shares the gospel with Zacchaeus. And he absolutely decimates Zacchaeus... ...with mercy, with forgiveness, with restoration. Zacchaeus is so mutilated... ...his family and his friends can't even recognize him. He is destroyed. He says, here and now... I give half my possessions to the poor and I'm going to keep the other half so that I can pay back fourfold those that I've defrauded. His family doesn't even recognize who this Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is dead, but is alive again. And so Jesus conquers him with forgiveness, mercy, and love. Orangewood, are you ready to join King Jesus as he continues to conquer his kingdom? There's a buzz around town about you, Orangewood. You don't know what's going on because you're not out there like I am. Three months ago... I was at a team resource meeting at Calvary Assembly. It's a meeting where pastors from all over the city and ministries all over the city get together to talk about what they can do to make a difference in the community. And I was introduced to come and present to them what Orangewood was doing about Hurricane Katrina. And I was able to share how you responded financially... ...in the places where we were sending money... ...in order to take care of those victims of Hurricane Katrina. And I told them about the work crews that we were sending. And I told them about Miss Regina Nelson... ...who we were helping to relocate... ...of which you'll see a video in the coming weeks... ...about what we've done to help a family relocate. And they gave a round of applause for Orangewood... ...and responded by being inspired to go and do the same things themselves around the city. There's a buzz around town about what's happening at Orangewood. Last week, or the week before, um, I joined a panel of pastors at Channel 2 News... ...who were doing um, a story about the Book of Daniel, the sacrilegious drama that started on NBC... And as I introduced myself to some of the other pastors, and I told them I was from Orangewood Presbyterian Church, they stopped and they said, I heard what's going on and what's happening at your church. It's so exciting. How can we do that at our church? Two months ago, Lisa Curry, a poor woman from Eatonville, came to our church and said, I need help. What happened is she was about to lose her house... ...because she wasn't paying her back... Uh, ...she had back taxes that she had to pay. And she didn't know what to do. So she had gone around to some of the people of Eatonville... ...and said, can anyone help me pay these taxes... ...and I'll help pay it back. And so she was shown a person at a church in Winter Park... ...and this member said that, that he would help her. And all she had to do was sign over a quit claim deed... To her, and they would pay the taxes. And then, after she paid back the taxes, X amount per month over 16 months, they would sign the quit claim deed back to her. Well, the interest rate was 80%, and the monthly payments were so high that it would consume 50% of her small income. It was impossible for her to pay it back... ...and they knew it. And it's criminal. And now she came to Orangewood and said... ...is there anyone who can help me get my house back? And now we have attorneys working on that case... ...and they're confident... ...that we're going to be able to get her house back. But I asked her... ...why did you come to Orangewood... ...after being ripped off by someone at another church in Winter Park? And you know what she said... Because I heard Orangewood is a church I could trust. There's a buzz around town about Orangewood. And that's you. I am to tell you another story. A very exciting story about something else that's happening. Things are taking off with our C2 groups. And we have our C2 groups that are now leading the blood drive. And we have another C2 group that's going to help with the Zora Neal Hurston Festival... ...that's coming up in the next few weeks in Eatonville. And there are C2 groups that are getting missions of their own and doing exciting things. One of these um, groups that are just that's just starting um, has been interested in low-cost housing. And they're just individuals who I've heard talk about their interest in helping people of this community... Uh, ...be able to afford homes, and as the price of the median home escalates... ...there's this huge group of people that could never afford a house of their own. And so I've gotten these people together with some people at Habitat for Humanity... ...and we've been meeting together and talking about, is there some way that if we join together... ...that we can accomplish something that can't be accomplished otherwise... And the first few meetings went all right... ...and we were kind of plodding along and talking about ideas. And then in the third meeting... ...it actually looked like it was going nowhere. But the Holy Spirit was telling me, stick with it. There's something that's going to happen here. And so we reviewed all the ideas that we were talking about... ...and something started to click. And everyone started getting excited. And as they started talking, they came up with this plan... They don't want to build just a few houses here and there. They want to build an entire community of low-cost houses, 50 to 100 homes in Seminole County. Habitat is going to take half the homes. The other half of the homes are going to be Um, these high-end modular homes and Habitat is going to pre-qualify everybody and we are going to build this awesome community so that people can afford homes of their own. And so, of course, I mean, great plan, great idea. Where on earth are we going to find 50 to 100 lots in Seminole County with the prices of lots uh, and land escalating out of uh, control? and with developers snatching up everything in sight. So we agreed. That was the next step. Where are we going to find 50 to 100 homes? So one of the guys said, I'll take that on as my project. We're walking out of the coffee shop where we were meeting, and this couple at the table next to us stops us and says, excuse us, can we talk to you for a minute? And we say, certainly. Well, we're embarrassed to say that we eavesdropped in on your entire conversation. And my husband, um, well, me and my wife were out today, and we're celebrating our anniversary, and we came out this morning specifically to talk about what to do with these 50 lots that we own in Seminole County. And we have an option on the 50 lots adjacent to that. And ever since Hurricane Katrina, it's been on our hearts to do something with low-cost housing, and we want to know if you'll talk to us about it. And we said, no, since you were eavesdropping, we're not going to talk to you about it. (laughs) It's amazing. It seems like when we take one baby step in God's direction, that God takes a giant leap in our direction. Something else happened with the same thing last week the second biggest architectural firm in the world... approached Habitat for Humanity of Seminole County... and said, look, we've had a great couple of years... and we want to do something for the community. But I know you don't usually do this. Um, I know you usually build houses here and there. But if you ever want to build an entire community... our company wants to donate 9,000 hours... ...towards the architectural and land design of a community... ...if you're interested in doing something like that. Is this God great beyond our imagination or what? Amen? Let's give God a round of applause. This is exciting, Orangewood. God wants these things to happen... ...if we step out in faith to do them. Now, let me tell you uh, quickly... ...about the bridge-building opportunities... ...that are coming forth. I don't know where God's going to take that low-cost housing development... ...but we're going to move forward with that... ...and see how God uh, develops that. And as we continue this... ...we are going to continue our bridge-building efforts... ...in every way that we can. And we have two massive projects... ...that are coming up in February and March. And I want to tell you about those. Um, The first project is in Eatonville... And it's in February, next month. Uh, Jeff sent me um, out to Eatonville in September and said, Go back to the community and see if you can build upon the good work that we started last year with the Franklin House. And so I went back uh, to the community and I met with Pastor E.L. Dallas, who is one of the pastors that we met at the barbecue celebration at the Franklin House. ...and I shared with him the vision of Orangewood... ...that it's about Christ and his kingdom... ...that it's not about us... ...and that we want to give it away... ...and that we want to build bridges to the community. And he got totally um, caught fire with this vision... ...and wants to bring it to his own church. And so what we talked about... ...was partnering together to do something... ...that we probably couldn't do separately. And I said, let's build a coalition... Of churches and pastors um, in the, from the Eatonville community, so that when we do our next project it 's not just orangewood it 's the whole community and so the most exciting thing has happened as we he went around and he said you know i 'm going to go, but I have to tell you that we don 't talk to each other i don 't know these pastors, and there 's kind of like a turf war of sorts, and we haven 't been the brotherhood that we once were, and so I don't know what's going to happen, but we prayed about it. And as he went and talked to these pastors, every single one of them said they wanted to be a part of what we were going to do. And so we have built, for the first time ever in this congregation, and really for probably the first time for some of these other congregations that are involved, we have built a coalition of six... African-American churches in Eatonville, Orangewood uh, Presbyterian Church, and Northland Community Church, and St. Paul's Presbyterian Church. And we have joined together to find out if we could do a project together in Eatonville. Now, what we did is we said we wanted to find a house or two that we could fix up in a day. It was was supposed to be a one-day project where we could band together and kind of help a needy person. And so I said, I didn't want to go and be the person to find this house. It's their community. I wanted them to go. And so they went out and they found needy people who needed their homes repaired. And they brought them to our meeting a few weeks ago and we discussed them. And one of those pastors did not pay attention to what I said because he picked a house that needed a lot more than one day's worth of work. It was a house in severe disrepair. And that's what I want to tell you about today. But I want to tell you this first. All these pastors, even though this woman goes to one of the churches, all these pastors unanimously agreed that Mrs. Geraldine Harmon is the the woman they want to help with this project. Ms. Harmon is a 56-year-old widow. Her husband died five years ago, and she has a 15-year-old son who doesn't have a father, obviously, and whom she's trying to care for. She is currently struggling through chemotherapy and lymphedema as a cancer victim, and she needs our help. The house that she lives in is in a severe state of disrepair. Uh, You can see um, there's been some additions added to the house. The roof is in disrepair. The bathroom is in uh, terrible condition. The kitchen, um, she can actually break her leg by walking to the kitchen sink because it's leaked for so long that the floor is completely rotted in front of it. Um, And so we have decided unanimously as a coalition to help Mrs. Harmon by doing a renovation on her house. And 30 days is too long. So since I've uh, grown this uh, soul patch again, and since I love Supreme Makeover so much, we are going to try to do a complete renovation in seven days towards the end of February. Okay, And we're going to have all these churches joining together to help us pull off this project. We are going to have a sign-up after the late worship service today... ...for those who want to help with this project and the next project I'm going to talk about. And so, since you're in the early congregation, you might not be able to make that sign-up. We'll have additional information and sign-up opportunities in the coming weeks. Um, The second project... Is perhaps even more dramatic than that one. We are going to build a complete house for Habitat for Humanity um, in 10 days. Uh, we have joined together with Habitat for Humanity of Seminole County, Miranda Homes, and Trustco Bank, and we are going to do a 10 day blitz on Miss Ginger um, Flax house. With her daughter, Uh, she has a three-year-old daughter that's just adorable. And um, Ginger is about 30 years old, and she has worked 250 hours of sweat equity on other Habitat houses in in order to earn the right to a Habitat house of her own. Um, And for one of her jobs, she actually works in the trophy shop where Orangewood Christian School buys its trophies. The purpose of this 10-day blitz in March is to provide as much visibility and media attention as possible to the Orlando Festival with Luis Palau, which is coming up in the first weekend in April. And so what the purpose of this project is, is to open up the hearts of the people of Orlando to see practically that Christians do not just care about people with their mouth and with their tongues, but with their hands and with their feet. And so we are going to do this project, and thank God Miranda Holmes is going to provide three project managers to help us uh, see this project through to success. Because last time I had to work 20 hours a day, and they are going to give me some relief, so I'm, I'm personally very excited about that. One thing I want to talk about um, as we go through and talk about these projects that we're going to do in the community is I do not want us um, to lose heart or um, to get the wrong impression that we are not going to care about the people of our congregation. We deeply care about the needs right here among our own body. And I want to let you know that our Deacons Fund last year helped 19 families with over $50,000 of needs. We care about the people of this congregation as much or more than we care about the people out there in the surrounding communities. But God wants us to care about the world, not just ourselves. And so what I'm asking in response to this, and I have a few more minutes, um, In response to these opportunities, I want you to think about these words that we sang from 1 Corinthians. And I want to do a little demonstration with the only musical instrument that I can play. As I I do the cymbal thing, I want you to think about what makes... A symbol distinct from every other musical instrument makes a big noise. And when you hear it, it even gets your heart pumping. That's why they use it for military songs and drums. It makes a whole lot of noise. But eventually it just fades away and becomes nothing. If I speak in the tongues of men... And even in the tongues of angels. But I have not love. I am only a resounding gong. Or a clanging cymbal. I make a whole lot of noise. And it might be full of fire. But if it's not combined with love. It just fades away and becomes nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, imagine that, being able to fathom the mysteries of the incarnation and the trinity. You can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. A Presbyterian's dream come true. And, on top of that, not just an intellectual knowledge, but I have the faith that can move mountains. But I have not love. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames as a martyr, ...but have not love... ...I gain nothing. What's your response? Orangewood... ...please commit yourselves... ...to these projects... ...that are building bridges... ...to the community. And join us... ...as we conquer the kingdom... ...along with King Jesus... Through love, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, restoration. Commit some days of work. Come on a Saturday. Maybe take a day off of work to come work on these projects and work alongside of the people of the churches of Eatonville. They are wonderful people. You are going to love them. And we have some financial needs as well. Our goal for these projects is to raise $40,000. We have an unprecedented opportunity to see a mighty work of God in our church and throughout the city. Let's conquer the kingdom together. My final comment is this. General George S. Patton was ultimately wrong when he said no one ever won a war by dying for his country.